Amen. Amen. We'll grab a seat and praise the Lord one more time, please. Praise the Lord one more time. Wow. Amazing, amazing, amazing time to just be ushered into the presence of the Lord so well by our team. Um, If you have a Bible, jump to uh, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. Uh, I'm, I'm getting free. Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning. And if this is your first time here, welcome to Bayou City Fellowship Tom Ball. My name is Kevin Barra. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, let me just say it is an honor for you to join us for worship and join us uh, here in this time. And we have been studying. Amen. One moment. Okay. How are we doing? All right, and we've been studying the book of Acts, and so we're going to be continuing in Acts chapter 10, so if you have a Bible, flip to Acts chapter 10. I'm going to read a little bit for us, pray for us, and then we will continue in the worship of the Lord through the studying of his word. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1, says this, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, what was known as the, the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, who is in a house by the sea. When the angel spoke to him, he departed. He called two of his servants and a devout soldier, among whom had attend, who attended him, and having related everything to them, sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for for your word. And Lord, thank you that you are a God who breaks boundaries, who breaks barriers. And Lord, thank you that you are a God who loves us too much to leave us as we are. But you have called us to be a people of reconciliation. You've reconciled us to yourself, and Lord, you call us to reconcile others to you. So Lord, I pray that as we open up your word, you would break whatever barriers are in our own heart to belief or faith in you. And Lord, if we're people that have barriers um, that are holding us from reaching people that you are working in, Lord, I pray that you would remove those this morning. You would draw us near and send us out as your people. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to talk to you this morning about barriers. And to get us going, I decided a definition would be the best way to get us there. And here's uh, a definition from dictionary.com. If it says .com, it's legitimate, right? Barriers is this, anything built or serving uh, to bar passage as a railing or a fence. Um, Any natural bar or obstacle. Or anything that restrains or obstructs progress or access a limit or boundary of any kind. What is a barrier? Well, it's something that stops you from going forward. It's something that stops the progress that you're wanting to achieve or or a progress. Maybe it's a personal barrier or maybe it's a social barrier. Maybe it's a a barrier that's there culturally that's present, but we all have barriers in different places in life. Some of you have personal barriers, like you're not gonna go skydiving. It doesn't matter if someone's going to pay your own way. It doesn't matter if uh, the bill is already fit for you. You're like, I'm not getting in that plane and I'm not jumping out. That is my barrier. Others of you have uh, uh, more like food barriers. You're like, I'm not going to eat that thing. Uh, For me, my own personal food barrier is I will not eat habanero peppers. Um, I lost a bet to a seventh grade boy uh, when I was doing youth ministry, and he said, why don't you bite this? I said, I said, I don't want to bite that. He says, you're chicken. And I said, come here, seventh grade boy, give me that habanero. I took a bite, and I was then icing my mouth for the next 30 minutes uh, as that, anyway, so it's a new barrier for me. But every now and then, every now and then, there's barriers that are broken that change the landscape of the game. They change everything. The sound barrier was broken in October 14th, 1947, traveling uh, 45,000 feet above the Mojave Mojave Desert in California, and Major Chuck Yeager of the United States and the Air Force broke the sound barrier flying the X-1 bomber. The the barrier that no one could travel that fast was broken, and it it changed the landscape of, of of aircraft and what we could do in that realm of, of existence. But also there's another barrier that was broken. It was an athletic barrier. October 20th, 1968, a 21-year-old uh, or- Oregon duck named Dick Fallsbury won the Olympic gold by doing the Fallsbury flop. And though, none of you have ever watched the, uh, the Olympics, you've seen a high jump. And it, back in the day, the only way to do a high jump was to jump forward over the bar. But Fallsbury decided to do something that was completely different than everyone else. And in doing so, he changed the landscape of athletics. He changed the event. Everyone else would go forward over, but he decided to go backwards. And he would run up to the bar, jump over the bar backwards, and, and he won the Olympic gold in 1968. And what was so fascinating about his whole little journey is they were interviewing this young man doing this un, unnormal, this not normal thing. And he says, I think, I think Fallsbury's onto something. And in an interview, he says, I think this might change how high jump is done. And it did. In fact, if you ever watch the high jump in the Olympics today, it was completely changed by the decision of one person. What we're gonna see this morning is God breaking new barriers. Barriers that have been put in place for generations. Barriers between Jews and Gentiles. And what we've seen in the book of Acts is the steady progress, the steady march of the gospel that has broken through barrier after barrier. Acts 1.8 is your outline for the book of Acts. And we see that Jesus tells his disciples, hey, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's your local nexus. That's where Jews congregate. 
And then you're going to go to Judea and Samaria, that next cultural barrier that was broken, and then to the ends of the earth. And in many ways, this chapter that we see in Acts chapter 10 is that, that, that starting point of the gospel fanning out much further. One commentator, uh, Daryl Box, says this, in a sense, this scene is the book's turning point. As from here, the gospel will fan out in all directions to people across a vast array of geographical regions. Something, something of Paul's three missionaries will point to. Everything about this event shows that God's way includes reconciliation and compassion offered to all who will respond. God is not about achieving revenge. He's going to move the gospel forward and he is going to fan it out to everyone that is separate. And it's in this section that we see God breaking the barriers. And what we're going to watch is we're going to look at him, him save a, a Gentile person. And we're going to watch him have to convince Peter that this barrier is worth stepping over. And here's your outline for this morning. We see that for all breakthroughs, all barriers, they're first of all initiated by God. Secondly, they challenge our paradigm. Thirdly, they confronts our comfort. And number four, God's breakthrough barriers unite us. They're initiated by God. They challenge our paradigm. They confront our comfort, and it unites us in him. So let's look at it in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. We see that God's barriers are broken through by God, and it's an, an initiation by God. The barriers in your heart, the barriers in my heart, they're broken because of God's initiative. It says this in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, of what had been known as the Italian cohort. What we see is a man who is a Roman. And as you're reading that text, you see a Roman of Romans. I mean, it's like if you went to Louisiana and you saw the Cajun of Cajuns. His name is Boudreaux. Uh, he eats, yeah, I mean, like, he is just the epitome of Louisiana. This man is the epitome of Roman. He is a centurion. His name is Cornelius, which was a very popular name. He was centurion, meaning he was a Roman soldier. He was in charge of a hundred soldiers, and he was part of a cohort, which was about, um, about six hundred um, soldiers in that region, and he was in an area called Caesarea. Caesarea was named after Caesar, the emperor Caesar, so he's in a place that is as, as Roman as you can get outside of Rome, and he is there in this moment, and this is the person that God is going to use to show Peter, hey, my gospel is for everyone, and I'm going to initiate in the life of this man to show you that the gospel isn't just for the Jews, it's not just for the Samaritans, it's even for the Gentiles, it's even for people that are crazy outsiders like you and like me. It says it was about the ninth hour and he saw clearly a vision of an angel of God that came down to him saying, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror. He says, what is it, Lord? He says, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before the Lord. And now send men to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. The first thing that we see is this, that God is breaking a barrier in Cornelius' life. We see Cornelius, he's a soldier, but he's also a God-fearer. He, he believes in God at some level. But here's what's fascinating about, about this, this thing, is that we see that God has to come in and break into his life. See, every salvation that happens is an initiation by God. 
God always initiates first. And that's what we see all throughout your Bible. See, the world is covered in darkness. It says in Genesis 1 that, that the earth was formless and without void. There was darkness covering the surface of the deep, and God spoke a word and light formed. And not only does he form light, light out of darkness, there's a darkness in the human heart. There's a darkness where we can't see God, we don't understand God, we need light to break in. And that, that imagery of light is what God uses all throughout the scripture to show that he, he shows that he is real, but he's gotta break into the human heart to show it. In Isaiah um, chapter nine, it says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, a light has shown them. And Isaiah is predicting the coming of a son the coming of Jesus. See, every one of us are walking in darkness. We don't know God. And even if we, we think that we are seeking God, actually the reason we're seeking God is because God is first seeking you. How do you know that, that you can believe in Jesus? It's because you have a desire to come to Jesus. Um, C.S. Lewis in his book, Surprised by Joy, it's, it's very interesting. He, he kind of catalogs his own journey to faith in God. And he didn't necessarily want to believe in God. And it's interesting how he describes his process. He says it this way. I felt as if I were a man of snow at long last beginning to melt. The melting was starting at my back drip by drip and presently trickle by trickle. I rather disliked the feeling, but the fox had been dislodged from the Hegelian woods, and now was running in the open into the world, bedraggled. Hounds were, up, were running behind me, and nearly everyone now, in one way or another, was in the pack. Plato, Dante, MacDonald, Herbert, Barfield, Tolkien, Dyson, Joy itself, everyone and everything had joined the other side. He's saying in his life, he, he believed in, in philosophy. He believed in, in rationalism. He believed that God couldn't possibly exist. And as he's going through his own process of conversion, he's like, it's like God was breaking in on me and melting my heart, melting like snow. I was like a snowman who was beginning to melt. And everyone that I thought was against me was now colluding or was for me is now colluding against me. And now God is starting to break in to his own life. He says this, amiable agnostics talk cheerfully about man's search for God. To me, as of then, it may have been like talking like a mouse's search for a cat. He's saying this, you don't search for God, God searches for you. Like a mouse doesn't search for a cat, the cat is searching for the mouse. God is looking for you. And so some of you are here this morning and you're, and you're wondering, does God care about me? Does God want to know me? The answer is absolutely, unequivocally, yes. And he is initiating, he is moving towards you. That's why he's put the friends around your life that he has. That's why he's brought you to this church today is because God is initiating with you. But here's the key on this. As God initiates with you, he doesn't leave you where you are. For every one of us, God doesn't come and just confirm the things that you believed. He challenges your assumptions. And what we're gonna see in this moment is that God then challenges the assumptions of Cornelius and he challenges the assumptions of Peter. He's gonna challenge their paradigm of what it means to have faith and what it means to believe. He says it this way back in um, 
in chapter 10, he says to Cornelius, you're a devout man. And he came to him and he stared at him and it was in terror. Verse four, he says, your prayers have been heard and your alms have ascended as a memorial. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon the Tanner. And what's fascinating about this man, Cornelius, is that he's a good man. He's a good person. He's giving alms to the poor, like he's generous with his possessions. He's caring for those that are, that are unable to care for themselves. And so what's fascinating is that at one level, if you were to look at this man, you would say, hey, you're successful and you're generous. You're pretty much okay. And you would say, some of us would say, okay, if those people are pretty much good people, they don't really need much else. Like, let them just continue going. Why don't God just give them a hand? Hey, you're a good guy. You're a good person. You're living a good life. Just give them a hand and let them keep on going. He'll eventually find his way to God. But that's not true. See, Christian, Christianity is not about good people living their own life and God cheering them along as they live their own moral life. That's not Christianity. And some of us have that paradigm that Christians are just good people chasing a moral trajectory. But that's not true. If that was true, then he would have left Cornelius alone. He would have said, hey, good job, bud. Keep it going. But he doesn't. He says, you're living a good life, and that's fine, but that's not enough. You need an encounter with someone else. You need an encounter with Jesus Christ. See, Christianity are a bunch of moral people that get around singing songs about being moral. That's not it. It's people that we know that we are lost in sin, we are dead in sin, and we need a rescuer. And he says, I want to introduce you to that rescuer. So you have to go get Peter to come and help you. So it's a change in paradigm. It's not that you be more religious. And there was also another change in paradigm. Peter thought that he was an insider and these other people were outsiders. And here's what he's going to confront Peter with. He says, it's not that you are religious and you get to know me. And it's not that insiders get to know me. The gospel is for everyone. And he moves to Peter. He says, the next day, they were on a journey and they approached the city and Peter went up to the house about the six hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending and being let down by its four corners and upon the earth. And it were all kinds of animals, of reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a loud voice saying, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that was common or unclean. And the voice came again a second time, Hey, what God has made clean, don't you call unclean. See, God in this moment is, is breaking the barriers in Peter's own mind. See, Peter believed that there are certain things that were clean and certain things that were unclean. And that's because there was rules in the Jewish tradition of, of this is what we eat and this is what we don't eat. This is what we, we go towards. This is what we don't go towards. These are the in people. These are the outsiders. And, and, and these, these unclean animals, Jews would never touch. They would never go near. And God's saying something completely different. Hey, I want you to kill it and I want you to consume it. I want you to eat the thing that you think is most unclean. Remember the first time I had crawfish. <laughs> I was probably about 10 years old. We went to Landry's and my friend said, would you like crawfish? And I said, I've never heard of a crawfish. And he says, well, let me show you this. And then he takes this animal that can look at you. 
And then he starts breaking it open and eating part of it. And then he sucks its head and he's like, it's so good. And I'm like, it's so not. (laughs) And he had to tell me to do this. And at first I was just like playing with him. I was like, I don't know what to do with this thing. And then his dad finally said, teach him how to open the thing. And I finally opened up and I was like, okay, this is pretty good. It's pretty good. But it took a moment for someone to break through my paradigm. Hey, you can eat that. I still will not suck the head. That's my own little barrier. (laughs) But you can do this. It's not crazy. But sometimes God has to break in and speak in because we do not want to move beyond our prescribed barrier. I mean, God is treating Peter in this moment like mamas treat their kids. Three times he had to tell Peter, hey, I want you to look at what's there and I want you to kill and eat. And and Peter's like, there's no way I'm going to do that. And he says, comes again, hey, I want you to look at this. I want you to move forward. And I know what you think. I think you think it's unclean, but I'm breaking that barrier. I want you to move in. I want you to to move in. And he's like, I'm not so sure. I mean, it's like a mama directing her kids. I mean, this is like standard in, in my house. Mom says something like, go pick up your clothes. Yeah, in a minute. Mom says, now. Hey, just let me finish. And what does that good mama say? If you don't get up, <laughs> you will not be able to get up when I'm done with you, right? I mean, it's like, will you please do this? And it's like the third time coming, <laughs> third time coming. You've got to move forward. Peter, you have been locked in this paradigm and I'm breaking this one apart. Galatians 3 says this, therefore the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. See, the Old Testament law acted like a tutor. Hey, here are the boundaries. Here's what you're gonna be under. But there's a new thing that's come. It's the grace of Jesus Christ. And he's coming in and he's gonna break all of those social barriers. See, what ended up happening with the Jewish people is they began to have this feeling of superiority. Hey, we're better than those other people. There's this feeling of separation. Hey, we're not gonna go near those people. And instead of being a light to the Gentiles, they had isolated themselves from the Gentiles. Instead of being, leading people towards Jesus, they had pushed people away from coming to God. And so, and so he's saying, I've got to break that apart. I need you to know that you are supposed to go into these people's lives where you are uncomfortable. I'm going to challenge your paradigm. Who can God save? Anyone and everyone. And all of us have people in our own minds, our own hearts, who are the, quote, other side of the tracks people. And they may be people of different uh, race, people of different religion, people of different socioeconomic status, people of different political leanings. We all have people that are others. And we're like, can God save those Democrats? And you're like, I don't know. Can God save those Republicans? Surely, I don't know. He's a God of miracles, right? And we all have the others. Whoever those others are, and and the the deal that God is saying is, look, whatever paradigm you have for faith, if it starts excluding people from my grace, you are moving in the opposite direction of me. And so he, God initiates, God breaks some paradigms, and thirdly, thirdly, the grace of God confronts our comfort. He's going to tell Peter, hey, this is not just a mental exercise, This is not just a vision in a moment. 
this is something that's going to change your life. And the gospel is not something, it's not a mental exercise. It's not a philosophy to adhere to. It's something that literally changes your life. In verse 17, he says this. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed at this vision of what's going on, God, what are you doing? He's confused. He says, behold, men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry in Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Get up and go. It's fascinating as God says, Peter, this isn't just about you thinking differently. This is about you moving differently. This isn't just about you, hey, I have good thoughts. It's about you living a new life, going across those barriers, going and meeting with these Gentiles. Alexander Wythe um, has a penetrating analysis of Peter's own prejudice and ours. He says this, all mankind, indeed, except Peter and a few of his friends were bound up together in one abominable bundle, and Peter was standing above them, scouting and splitting them, splitting them all. And so like ourselves, for we also bundle up whole nations of men and throw them into the same unclean sheet. Whole churches that we know nothing about, but their, but their bad names that we have given to them are in our sheet of excommunication. All other denominations of Christians in our land are common and unclean to us. Every party outside of our own party in the political state also. We have no language contemptuous enough to describe their wicked ways. They are four-footed beasts, creeping things. Indeed, are very few men alive, and especially those who live near us that are not in the sheet of our scorn, unless it is here for us. If they're part of our family, we accept them. And they also come to our scorn and our own affections and ambitions. We push them out. See, we have this us and them mentality. And God says, that's not what the gospel is about. And he confronts us in our comfort. We all have our own comforts. And the gospel comes in and says, no, I need you to push out from that and go into this other person's house. Isn't that fascinating? He pushes him out and he says, I even want you to go and visit and stay with them. Verse 23 says, the next day he arose and went with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them and called them together, his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up, stand up. And he talked to them, to all the people that were gathered. Who is it in your life that you would say, I would never go into their house? Who is it in your life that you would say, I would never go into that place? And I'm not talking about sinful places. I'm just talking about cultural barriers, social barriers, economic barriers. Who is it? You're like, man, I just, I would feel very uncomfortable if God sent me into that place. But let me tell you, our God is a God who breaks those barriers. There's no one too far gone. 
And there's no one too unclean that he doesn't want to send you to with the love of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of God that we have. And so for Peter, he had to break his mind. Okay, it's not about religious people, good people and bad people. That's not the paradigm. He challenged him to confront him. Hey, go into this person's house. And Peter's like, I've never even been in another person's house like this. He takes a step in in verse 34. Peter opened his mouth and he said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. God has no barriers. He has no partiality. He moves into anyone and everyone's life and Peter took this moment to go, look Peter, you're not seeing it right. You're not seeing it correctly. You're choosing us and them, but that's not how God works. He moves into anyone and everyone and he unites people across all broken boundaries. That's the last thing that we see. The grace of God unites us like nothing else. And there's a reason for that. It's because we receive it by the same faith and the same spirit. The same faith in Jesus Christ and the same spirit that unites every one of us. Peter begins preaching his sermon in this moment. In verse 36, and as for the words, he, he spent preaching good news. You yourselves know what happened throughout all of Judea, beginning with Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the good that he did in that country. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. Verse 40, but God raised him up on the third day and made him appear. Now, now he's appeared to all people. And we has committed, we've committed to preach the gospel. To him, all the prophets bear witness. And while Peter was still saying these things, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell and the, and the believers all among the circumcised had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even even on the Gentiles. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus Christ died for everyone. He died for anyone and everyone that would put their faith alone in him. And, and all of us come to God by the same path. No one comes on their feet. Everyone comes on their knees believing that Jesus died in our place for our sins. He paid for every one of your sins and mine. And that is a great equalizer. That is the great equalizer of our Christian faith. There is no superiority or inferiority. Everyone comes in at the same level. See, most of us put boundaries in life and they're about identity, community, and distinction. Identity, hey, this is who we are. Community, hey, this is us. And distinction, this is us versus them. But the problem is, is this, that your identity can, can make you arrogant. Or your community can make you exclusive. Or your distinction can make you distant from people. And here's what, here's what the gospel says. Hey, you're supposed to be identified in Christ. You're supposed to have a community of believers that make you distinct but not standoffish. It's anyone and everyone that would come to faith alone in Christ alone. There's no superiority. There's no jealousy. We all come in at the same level through the grace of Jesus Christ. That's 
the greatest barrier that was broken. We're all at the same level. We all need Jesus. And he sends us to be his ambassadors into the world, to go tell people about the love of Jesus that breaks all barriers. And you know the most beautiful picture of this is when Christians, we don't, we're not partial. We don't have insiders and outsiders. It's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find water. That's what sharing the gospel is. It's like one beggar telling another beggar, hey, this is where life is found. It's with Jesus Christ. And Christians that do this, they make a powerful, beautiful impact in the world. One person who did this extremely, extremely well was a man named G.K. Chesterton. G.K. Chesterton actually, you may not be familiar with who he was, um, but he was a, a Christian who would debate um, unbelievers. And, and, and he lived from 19, or 1856 to, um, to, uh, to 1901, somewhere in that, that time period. And he had a, a debate with George Bernard Shaw at an interesting moment. And George Bernard Shaw was a playwright, a very famous playwright. And these men would have these debates and they would jostle and argue with one another. But what was fascinating is about how, how they argued with one another. George Bernard Shaw would walk in and, and G.K. Chesterton was a large man. He enjoyed cigars and was, uh, he, was, he was called the laughing prophet. And George Bernard Shaw would walk into the debate, pat him on his big belly and sit down beside him. And, and G.K. Chesterton would just laugh. And as they were debating these hot topics, he would laugh joyously inviting everyone to come and join in the laughter. And then afterward, he and George Bernard Shaw would go grab dinner together. I mean, can you imagine public debate and discourse in which they vehemently disagreed and then went out and got dinner and laughed together? But that's what G.K. Chesterton did. He said this of, of George Bernard Shaw. He is something of a pagan, said Chesterton of Shaw. And like many other pagans, he's a very fine man. He says, he believes everything that I don't, but he's a fine man. He genuinely loved him. And in his, his own autobiography, he wrote about how much he appreciated and valued George Bernard Shaw. How do you enter into our culture in a way that's winsome? See, we don't hold our beliefs like a sledgehammer. We don't. We don't beat people with the love of Jesus. We extend open arms, embracing those who disagree. And there's a reason we can do that. It's because we believe in a Jesus who initiated with us when we were lost in sin. A Jesus who changed our paradigm. There's not insiders and outsiders. There's a God of grace who's saving us. He challenges your comfort to say, hey, you, you're not who you need to be. And you know what? You need to initiate with people unlike you. And he unites us. The most beautiful part about our Christian faith is that I don't put my hand against you and say, you will never be like me is that I reach out with my hand and say, I want to introduce you to the one that's changed me. 
I want you to be part of the family. I want you to come know the God who I know and who loves me. And for Christianity to continue to make a positive impact in the world, it means we don't fight with our fists. It means we come with open arms of love like Jesus Christ, who dying on the cross extended his arms and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know. They don't know. They don't know what they're doing. That is the beautiful picture of Christ honoring love that breaks all barriers. So I don't know where you are this morning, but we're probably in a couple different places. Some of you have never come to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You've never believed in him. And the reason you've never believed in him is because the barriers that Christians put up between you and Jesus and you and God was so big, you're like, that can't be right. And, and you may be right. It may not be like that at all. Maybe this Jesus who moves in compassion and love to, to love you where you are, as you are. For others of you, um, there are divisions in your life that you've held. Unforgiveness, unclean people that are over there. And as soon as I say that, you're like, Kevin, stop pressing on me. But Kevin's not pressing on you. It's the Holy Spirit. Try to say, hey, who are those people that you are not forgiving? Who are those others in your own life? Who are you calling unclean that God in his grace can cleanse? And thirdly, thirdly, some of you here are um, deeply offended by a God of that kind of grace. Because you have um, a wound, an unforgiveness in your own heart, a bitterness towards that other. But Jesus died for them, just like he died for you. And the grace of God will cleanse you from the inside out and even empower you to forgive and love them. So my challenge to you is to spend some time with the Lord Write down that person, that group, that thing that you are so against. And say, ask God, God, how can you soften my heart towards them? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Christian men and women that are not perfect. but by God's grace are saved. And Lord, I know this morning that there's some of us here that uh, do not believe really in the grace of God that breaks all barriers, that extends far beyond. And so Lord, I pray that you would show us this morning who those people were holding at arm's length, who those people are that you you would never save, who those, those people are that are um, so different than us that we're holding far from you. And Lord, I ask that you forgive us and help us to move towards them in the grace of God. And Lord, I know some of us here have never put our faith alone in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And so Lord, I pray that today would be the day the Christians we've interacted with that maybe have 
held more to rules than relationships, held more to religion. Um, I pray that that would no longer be the barrier. You're a God who extends open arms to the world, saying, come, anyone and everyone. Lord, I lift up each person here as we deal with our own barriers that you would forgive us and empower us to be your people and draw people to yourself and be a part of that. We ask that in Jesus' name, amen. As we close, um, our prayer team is gonna come forward. And as our prayer team comes forward, I would ask, as, as God has been working on your heart, maybe there's a couple different ways you can respond. One, if you've never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, come forward. We'd love to pray with you to solidify that decision today. For others of you, there's a, there's a bitterness that, that you've held on to in your heart. There's this other people that you are pushing against. And so maybe it's about releasing them, releasing whatever that is, whatever barrier you put in place between you and them. And we wanna pray with you alongside of that. For others of you, there may be a physical or emotional or spiritual healing that you would love, um, love in your own life. Well, we believe in a God who heals. We believe in a God who still interacts in human's life. He is one that moves towards us, initiates with us, and can heal us of our disease. So we want to pray alongside you for whatever issue you might be walking through. We want to be a church that prays and believes in God alongside you. So come forward, respond in prayer as our team, as our worship team closes.